Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, remember, subscribe. In our municipal interview series, we chat with the leaders or Black representatives of specific cities across Ontario with the focus of giving them a spotlight since they have been taking steps to improve quality of life for Black and racialized people since George Floyd. We're on episode three, and these cities and towns were chosen with two other considerations in mind. One, it was a location where we had a strong listenership. Two, it was a location with a strong demand or potential among millennial home buyers, particularly those of us who are racialized. On this week's episode, we take a look at Ottawa, Canada's capital city. First established as Bytown in 1826 and incorporated as Ottawa in 1855, the city is located on the south bank of the Ottawa River in southeast Ontario and borders Gatineau, Quebec. Census 2016 put Ottawa's population at 934,243, but the city estimated that it passed a million residents in 2019. It's Canada's fourth largest city, 26% of which are racialized, and Black people make up the largest racialized group at 7%. And representing the city, we're honored to welcome Ottawa City Councillor Ralston King to the drip. Ralston became Ottawa's first ever Black councillor after winning his seat in the historic April 2019 by-election. The embodiment of Black excellence. He is chair of the Built Heritage Subcommittee and is also appointed to the Standing Committee on Environmental Protection, Water and Waste Management, and to the boards of the Ottawa Police Service, Crime Prevention Ottawa, Ottawa Community Housing Corporation, Ottawa Public Library, and literally three others. Like, where does he find the time? (laughs) Because of his extensive professional and community work, Council appointed Ralston as the Council Liaison for Anti-Racism and Ethnocultural Relations Initiatives last June after the murder of George Floyd. Before becoming Councillor for Rita Rockcliffe, he worked in strategic communications for 20 years, including providing market research to high-tech ventures. On the volunteer side, he was the president of the Overbrook Community Association, treasurer at the Rita Rockcliffe Community Resource Center, and was co-chair of the Ottawa Police Service Community Equity Council. Recognized for his volunteer work, he won a United Way Ottawa Community Builder of the Year Award in 2018. He was also a recipient of a Black History Ottawa Special Recognition Award in Black History Month 2021. A Toronto man at heart, Ralston is also a son of Aruba and St. Vincent. He holds a Bachelor of Journalism and Law and an MA in Communications from Carleton University. Damn. (laughs) It's good to have you with us, Ralston. How are you, sir? I'm great. And uh, I think you let the cat out of the bag. Um, I try to uh, surprise people here in Ottawa and I tell them I'm from a very uh, strange and exotic place. I was born in a very strange and exotic place called Toronto. So you let that happen. Um, it's going to have uh, it's a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun with my uh, residents and constituents uh, uh, when they hear this podcast. Uh-oh. <laughs> we, don't, we, we hope we don't get you into too much trouble. But, oh, you know, no, no, no. 
on that note of, of, you know, the work you do for your residents, you do a lot. I mean, you remind me, uh, probably patients too, of another Black municipal juggernaut we know, Shelburne Mayor Steve Anderson. How do you get it all done? Well, the key for me is taking it day by day. The reality mm-hmm. is that there's just so much work that needs to be done. Uh, you know, I have a ward with a tremendous number of challenges. Uh, it uh, has some of the richest people in Canada mm-hmm. uh, in uh, mm-hmm. part of the part of the ward uh, called Rockcliffe Park. Um, you might recognize some addresses there like uh, yep, 24 exactly. Sussex and right. uh, Rideau Hall. So that's part of yep. the ward. And we also have some of the poorest people in, in Canada. In fact, we have some of the highest uh, food bank usage in Ontario in uh, the southern mm. part of the ward. So we have a, a wide number of, of challenges, but uh, the key thing for me is that it is a, a true microcosm of Canada. I mean, the reality is mm. that uh, we have uh, the rich, the income, uh, the lower income, uh, and a lot of need. Uh, and uh, the need is what keeps me going every day. So I take it day by day and I ask myself this question, how can I improve at least one person's life um, every day? And I also take the view that, you know, you're not in office forever. Um, it's a great privilege uh, to be in public life. And, um, you know, I take it day by day and I act like uh, every day is my last day uh, in the seat. Mm-hmm. And the question for me is how do I improve uh, the quality of life for everybody in the ward? Uh, so that's, that's how I, uh, you know, really try to get it all done. It, it mm-hmm. uh, really emphasizes that there's only so many hours in the day and you have to really yeah. use them constructively. And you do. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you clearly do. <laughs> Well, speaking of doing your best, we've got plenty to discuss, uh, including some of the work you've been doing. So why don't we jump right in? Sure, absolutely. We'll start by focusing on Ottawa's Black and racialized community. You hosted a virtual municipal budget consultation for Ottawa's Black, Indigenous and racialized residents to give them the opportunity to share their perspective on the upcoming budget on December 8th, just last month. For our listeners, that was the first time a consultation session was addressed to Ottawa's racialized community ever. The residents who attended were clear on what they're seeking from government, improved mental health service, more affordable housing, like you mentioned, and police reform. So could you share what you and council are doing to tackle these issues, especially in the aftermath of the racial revolution that began last summer? Sure, absolutely. Well, I took office before COVID and before the uh, racial revolution, in a sense, in April 2019. And mm-hmm. as you can imagine, there was a lot of elation uh, since I was the first uh, Black uh, counselor elected in, in Ottawa's history. Mm-hmm. And then uh, literally the next month in May, there was a lot of deflation in the community uh, because uh, there was this uh, awful act of racism in uh, my in one of my specific neighborhoods that I represent, mm-hmm. uh, where I about the that. N-word uh, was spray painted on somebody's door. Wow, And uh, in the black community, and you can imagine this is a family who lived there for 20 years and uh, on their garage door was spray painted N-word, get out. My goodness. And um, the community came together literally in the driveway and said, this is intolerable. We're not going to tolerate individual acts of racism. But they also said, you know, Rawlson, more important to us, we don't want to tolerate systemic racism when we're dealing with our government. We're supposed to be equal in front of our government. And we want to ensure that there's movement on employment equity in uh, governance, 
and in economic development and health outcomes. So mm-hmm. right at that moment, um, the uh, community demanded the creation of an anti-racism office at the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward a couple months to my first budget, and uh, I was able to work with the community to build a proposal and got it accepted at city council for the establishment of an anti-racism secretariat at the mm-hmm. city of Ottawa that would deal with all these specific issues. And, and so even before uh, the challenges with George Floyd, I had expressed uh, to the mayor and other members of council that we had real problems that required real solutions. And so the anti-racism office was established and started to uh, work on uh, some of these issues in substantive ways. Um, I know you asked about housing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, because of the efforts of the secretariat, uh, the uh, housing services branch at the city is uh, now undertaking a black led family rental housing pilot. So okay, they that's are great. offering uh, funding up to $750,000 uh, for uh, the acquisition and rehabilitation of residential units, uh, mm. you know, specifically uh, um, for black families and also uh, the organizations uh, that would apply for those types of grants would have to be a black led uh, mm-hmm. with leadership positions on boards uh, that are exceed 50%. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, there, there's been a, a lot of work there. Uh, we also worked on social procurement. Uh, so I worked with one of my colleagues around the council table uh, to to ensure that uh, there is a social procurement program put into place that allows for diverse businesses, uh, whether they're Black-led or Indigenous-led or led by other communities, uh, that they have a fair share or fair crack at the $1 billion of procurement that the city undertakes. Mm-hmm. What are you aiming for percentage-wise? Well, we are in the first stages of this, so we are engaging with communities. I think the mm-hmm. most important element is ensuring that we provide education uh, so that uh, businesses uh, really uh, have the capacity to bid for the contract. So right. I think it, it gets a little more elemental than simply the target. Uh, for, for me, it's also just ensuring that people understand the opportunities are available and how to actually mm-hmm. bid for those opportunities and, and compete in a substantive way for those opportunities. Um, so uh, we, we've done some good work there. Um, and uh, I know that you asked about uh, the police service. I sit on the mm-hmm. police service board. Right. And uh, we've been working hard over the last year. Um, last year, we heard from over 100 uh, delegations asking for change. And uh, the board committed itself to uh, really examining uh, the budget with an eye to either a freeze or reduce uh, the budget um, Mm -hmm. with the understanding that um, there are a lot of constraints under the police services act for police services boards to actually provide adequate and effective policing. Right. Uh, You spoke of uh, the powers that the province effectively has to overrule you, even if you did. That's correct. There there are expectations at a police service that we actually, you know, provide adequate crime prevention, law enforcement, um, public order maintenance, emergency response, uh, victims assistance, and that's legislative. And of Mm -hmm. course, there are contractual obligations. I mean, we use arbitration in terms of our labor agreements or collective agreements uh, with uh, with uh, police uh, sworn members uh, who are members of bargaining units. And of course, there there are community expectations. But notwithstanding that, uh, at the police service, uh, we've uh, made many changes. Um, We've uh, really uh, focused on the creation 
of a, of a new community-led mental health strategy. Uh, we have been uh, working on mediated consultation processes to build trust with Black, Indigenous, and racialized communities. Uh, we uh, are in the middle of developing a, a partnership fund to work with Black, Indigenous, and racialized organizations uh, who are engaged in alternative modes of public safety. And, you know, we are, are ensuring that we are formalizing the ties with the city's new anti-racism office with the police service to share best practices uh, around equity and, and human rights uh, in, in, in terms of how both organizations go forward uh, with uh, equity, diversity and inclusion. So we have been working hard um, on all fronts, yes. I think, to ensure that there is more real input. Now, we recognize that change won't be immediate. Um, change does take time. But I, I'm, I'm really glad to have had a small role in, in ensuring that uh, we plant the, the seeds of change in, in our municipal government. Uh, so that there is greater engagement uh, with the African, Caribbean, Black communities, along with Indigenous, racialized, and other groups uh, within within the city. Rolson, um a month ago, uh, an article, an, an op-ed went out from the National Post, written by Dahabo Ahmed Omer, about an experience of, of racism, anti-Black racism in the city of Ottawa. I'm just wondering if, if you read it, if, if it has brought some discussion to council or between you and specific members of council or the mayor, or did that article maybe go uh, unnoticed? No, the, the article didn't go unnoticed. I believe um, she was talking about her um, her experience in her car. I right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, I know her well. We haven't talked about this uh, specific uh, issue, but I have talked to community members who have obviously experienced the same type of thing. And mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is, even before I was elected, you know, um, actually a, a couple years before. Uh, many people got to know me in my neighborhood because I would actually walk uh, to my office and back every day. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, one day when I was walking down the street, you know, somebody stuck their head out and yelled the N-word at me. So oh my I, I completely understand um, these are challenges uh, in terms of individual racism that, uh, that many people, and I would hazard to say uh, um, the majority of, of Black community members experience on uh, on an occasional basis. I wouldn't say an everyday basis, but it, it happens on occasion and it, it's dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been having are discussions on how to really engage with communities uh, so that they understand the impact of, um, you know, outright racism and microaggressions as well. Mm -hmm. So that's actually something that the anti-racism uh, um Secretariat at the city of Ottawa was actually working on uh, mm -hmm. when there were outbreaks of anti-Asian racism. Uh, we right. engaged in campaigns, and that's also going to be part of the role of the anti-racism office mm -hmm. is to ensure Excellent. that we address uh, improvements in, in education to really uh, talk about uh, the horrible effects of race of racism on our communities so it is it is something um you know um it didn't spawn a specific debate around the council table right. but i can say that members of council are have been united there are many places where we're divided yeah uh, it's fun we're divided on a lot of things of course <laughs> but there's one, there's one thing where there is unanimity 
uh, and it is uh, confronting both individual and systemic racism. That's why I'm very proud of, uh, you know, the stance and the leadership of uh, members of council and the mayor on this. Um, you know, it's unequivocal. There are many other issues that we have uh, specific issues on, like, you know, we don't have agreement, but where we have agreement is on uh, fundamentally fundamental human rights and also equity of outcome and equity of opportunity for all of our residents. Uh, so it, it's something that does uh, drive me and I know it drives other members of council. And uh, despite the fact that we did not have an explicit discussion on it, I know that other um, um, councillors would have read uh, th that experience mm -hmm. and are united in terms of trying to improve um, uh, conditions. So much so, uh, one of the things that we did do recently, uh, because, uh, you know, we don't have enough to do in the city of Ottawa, we, we passed our uh, new official plan, uh, the first one uh, since amalgamation. And what? I think it's truly innovative. <laughs> yes, it's truly innovative because uh, one of the things I worked on uh, with uh, council liaison for uh, gender and uh, women's uh, equity, um, Councillor Teresa Cavanaugh, uh, mm -hmm. we worked on ensuring that we wrote uh, both racial and gender equity into the official plan. Wonderful. I'm not aware of any other uh, Ontario municipality uh, that has that has pledged itself to creating uh, an equity toolbox for its planning uh, processes. Mm -hmm. um, and when you think about that, it, it's it, you know um, equity is written into everything, including the infrastructure. You know why is it that uh, you know some of the lower income areas lack green space? Mm -hmm. They lack sidewalks city uh those are things uh those are equity considerations of course uh, that really need to be made yep. and uh we will have a tool through the official plan to do that so i just think that we uh, as a council uh we are committed uh to these types of changes yeah. excellent uh, moving on to the issue of transit, this week, Ottawa City Council voted against holding a judicial inquiry into the city's light rail transit system, which many would say has been a nightmare since it came online just over two years ago. According to the reports I've seen, the train experienced problems within weeks of launch, including stuck doors, wheel flats, which is where the wheel flattens under pressure, wheel cracks, braking issues, and frozen switch heaters. And most recently, the train has derailed twice. Once on August 8th, and then again on September 19th, six weeks later. You were one of 10 councillors who voted in favour of the judicial inquiry, but you were the minority as Mayor Jim Watson and 12 other councillors voted for an audit instead. Can you lay out why you and your dissenting colleagues preferred an inquiry instead of an audit and why you think Ottawa is in this predicament? Absolutely. Well, a judicial inquiry to me is the most effective, objective way to provide answers to a wide number of questions raised regarding the ongoing challenges with the light rail system. Right. And that's because an inquiry can provide transparency. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a judge undertaking the process, as one of my colleagues said, not just uh, not just an accountant. Mm -hmm. And that judge has uh, powers really to ensure that um, you have um, a proceeding that takes place in front of the public to ensure transparency and openness uh, regarding um, findings and regarding the ability to compel uh, the release of information. 
-hmm. and the ability is goes above and beyond the scope and powers of the city. Mm -hmm. So as a result, I felt it's really important uh, that if we want to uh, build a process of, of recreating, rebuilding public accountability, we really need to do that through an independent investigative process right. that really has the power uh, to find out what's going on. Because like you said, uh, we've been plagued with a tremendous number of technical issues and we need to have a good sense of, uh, you know, where the, uh, where the fixes are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the most important um, issue uh, for me is what are the problems? Let's uh, clearly identify them. Let's clearly identify also, also what went wrong in terms of the selection um, of uh, the, um, of the contractors that we're using because it is a public private partnership, uh, which mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been in favor of if I was around the table. And I actually went on record saying that I wouldn't have voted for stage two uh, based if on- you were elected. <laughs> yeah, if I had been elected. And actually that vote occurred during the by-election campaign. Mm -hmm. So I was saying in real time that I wouldn't vote for this because I didn't have enough information, which is the key reason why I would support a judicial inquiry is because this would be a mechanism to really provide us with information and to reestablish public trust and a level of accountability for a system that we spent $2.1 billion on. And we have to remember that this system is going to expand. So, you know, I want to know what's going on so that we can have good governance in terms of the next stage, which will cost us $4.6 billion. So right. we need to have, um, you know, more sunlight. I said that very clearly at council um, in the process to really ensure that we rebuild public trust. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't have any criticism of our auditor general and mm -hmm. I don't mind a concurrent process. Actually, I wouldn't have mind an audit as well as a judicial inquiry. Um, some of my colleagues were saying that that would be uh, too expensive and it would be too much of a drain on uh, the uh, public purse and, and the resources of the city. However, I think that if we are talking about ensuring that the largest capital investment ever made by our municipality goes right, right. Um, you know, $20 million, <laughs> you know, when we're considering that we are, we are talking about spending in in the aggregate uh seven or eight billion dollars mm. um i think is a good investment just to ensure that we have good governance and and we can ensure uh that the public feels safe when they're mm -hmm. utilizing our mass transit system so um that's one of the reasons why i um why i support it uh, because I want uh, greater answers around um, the quality of maintenance. And we also want uh, answers around uh, the selection process uh, for uh, both the consortium and also the selection uh, process around the technology and the appropriateness of the technology uh, that has been selected uh, to, to provide uh, uh, revenue uh, transit service for for all of the residents of Ottawa. You know, a lot of city cities are are in this predicament where where um you know they're they're trying to fill a a gap when it comes to transit, namely Toronto. Do you have any cautionary advice for Toronto's council as it builds more transit? Well, the interesting thing is uh, the Finch Avenue West line is going to be utilizing the same technology. Mm, so I actually brought that up at uh, at Transit Commission 
one of the uh, one of the committees that I don't sit on, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I brought that up and I said, you know, are, are we talking to Metrolinx? Right. Because the reality yeah. is that we will want to share best practices. Uh, we've had a lot of problems, um, and uh, they might want to know about them uh, before they bring uh, that system online. Mm-hmm. Um, you yep. know, the general feeling is that we have been the guinea pig, uh, for this Alstrom spirit train technology because it's never been rolled out in, uh, North America. So we are the first municipality to, to utilize it. Uh, the other challenge of course, is that, <laughs> you know, we are the first uh, municipality to convert bus rapid transit, uh, a dedicated transit way for for buses to uh, light rail. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there have been a number of challenges uh, with uh, the the process, and I think it would uh, behoove other municipalities to learn from from our our mistakes, right. our errors. Yeah. And, and part of the errors, uh, you know, um, like I said, I wasn't around the table, uh, but uh, our mayor had said at the time that uh, you know we're getting a Chevy not a Cadillac. He was proud of the fact that we were saving uh, dollars, but uh, rolling out a world-class system. Well, uh, we haven't rolled out a world-class system because it it doesn't work uh, (laughs) that that well. Uh, It's been a massive uh, challenge um, to to ensure uh, that uh, we've had regular revenue service and um, it's breaking um, uh, people's uh, faith in uh, the mass transit system and it's driving them away from from using it. So we have to ensure that, number one, that we can really show the the city that the system is safe. And number two, we have to figure out uh, ways to improve uh, the uh, maintenance process, whether that's through technology on the trains or the physical maintenance that's undertaken. And uh, number three, to me, we have to look at the whole selection process uh, because um, we we learned after the fact that um, the um, the consortium did not make the technical scoring criteria, um, you know, uh, before they were selected. Staff uh, was able to have um, autonomy in terms of their delegated authority to select a consortium, despite the fact that uh, they did not reach the, the technical competency level. Interesting. To me, uh, that would merit a full investigation to see huh. what went wrong, uh, where the problems are, and how we can correct them. And like I said, I think that would serve as a lesson to other municipalities who are embracing light, uh, rapid uh, transit, light rail systems. Uh, there's no problem as a concept taking the approach of adopting these types of systems, but we have to do it right. And we have to understand if it goes wrong, we have to understand why it's gone wrong. And so that's why I, I, I fully supported a judicial inquiry. And I understand mm-hmm. that uh, there's some talk at Queen's Park that the province might be... Um, might be considering it. Right. And if they do, um, you know, I, I would be supportive of that. Um, I'd be doubly supportive because ideally they would pick up the $20 million bill for it. Right. <laughs> hey, everybody, Curtis here. We hope you've been enjoying this deep dive on the issues with Ottawa Councillor Ralston King, Ottawa's current and first black councillor ever. Be sure to listen to part two, where he gives us his thoughts on the way forward for Indigenous reconciliation, his thoughts on Prime Minister Katane's ridiculous comments on residential schools, and plenty more. I'd also invite you to take a trip to our Patreon site, where we posted his thoughts on Premier Ford's hate for electric vehicle incentives, even though it's pretty clear we'll need them to meet our climate targets, as always. 
Thanks for listening. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 